I went up on stage and I went through it. And I don't know if you saw this bit, but there's a bit in the talk where I go, I ripped pants. You're listening to the Occupational Philosophers with Simon Banks and John Rice. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Occupational Philosophers, a not-so-serious business podcast designed to spark your curiosity, creativity and imagination with a little bit of philosophy thrown in. As ever, I'm joined by my co-host and co-producer, collaborator, Simon Banks. Simon, how are you and what's caught your eye this week? First answer, pretty good. Second answer, what's caught my eye with apologies to anyone listening, which is a lot of people who aren't in the UK or Australia, and that is the notion of what is right brought on by the second test of the ashes this week. And John, I'm not sure if you're up to this, but the, yeah, he already yawning. Yeah, so I appreciate we're not a, a sports podcast. So as I said, apologies. But your Prime Minister's commenting on it, our Prime Minister's commenting on it. Essentially, there is a law in cricket and saying if you step outside your crease, which is a little bit near the stumps, you are out. An English person was uh, stumped, okay, when he left his crease, but because he thought the over was finished and it wasn't, he went for a little bit of a wander. And the Australians being quite quick-witted, I believe, they went, bang, you're out. And this whole thing has come out, well, he was out, but it's not within the spirit of the Uh game. So I'm interested in this whole notion, which we talk about, I'm right, you're wrong, but there's no sort of this big grey area in between. And it's pretty much split down, you know, along country lines. And a lot of ex-cricketers are saying, no, well, he did the wrong thing. But then some are like, the moral outrage is huge. So that's <laughs> caught my eye. And it's one little thing. And they're saying, well, what is the spirit of cricket? Well, that's whatever we say it is. You know what I mean? <laughs> so that's so open for interpretation. Of A lot of interpretation. 100%. Yeah. 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 So the umpire gave him out. Yep. You're definitely out. But the spirit of cricket said, no, you shouldn't have appealed for spirit that. Spirit of that's cricket. Spirit. Is that, is that yeah. the spirit of cricket? Is that sit on someone's shoulder? The spirit of cricket telling someone yeah well it occupies some spot but nobody knows where it is or where it started or what it looks like there's not a there's not a holy trinity of cricket is there i've missed something yeah (laughs) so the person who got out says oh that's not in the spirit of cricket the people who got him out said yeah you're out see ya (laughs) well so there we go all i could say is you've increased my lexicon of cricket in terms tenfold in that sort of explanation there because i know nothing of cricket And apologies to every person who listens who has no interest in cricket, which I would say would be a whole lot. What's caught your curious eye, though? <laughs> like, I'm going to change tack completely because uh, what caught my eye is the fact that yesterday was 4th of July, Independence Day in the States, and it always makes me laugh that they have big festivals, including a, a hot dog eating competition, <laughs> which was won yesterday by a chap with the most brilliant name, which is Joey Jaws Chestnut. So Joey Chestnut <laughs> won the hot dog eating competition. He ate 62 hot dogs in 10 minutes. And he's held this title for about 16 years, which is unbelievable. But he didn't beat his record because that was 76 hot dogs. And the reason was is because it was raining. So <laughs> I don't know. He, how, he doesn't eat so well in the humidity. Yeah, I don't or? know what. But maybe <laughs> the buns get wet or something like that. And it's... It's more difficult to eat. Anyway, I was just curious about that and whether you'd ever invite him to your barbecue. 
Because it'd be hell, wouldn't it? Haha, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it'd be good to clean up at the end of the day. Oh, I've got a few sausages left over. Whew. And also, uh, Bags not being on the bathroom cleaning duty that day. <laughs> after, so, uh, after Joey Chestnut. <laughs> big shout out. Yeah, big shout out to Joey. And also an Australian person came third. I literally read that today. So, um, yeah. We're making impact where it matters, John. <laughs> so who have we, uh, we have a guest episode, Simon, who is our wonderful guest this week? Well, John, as always, it's very exciting. We're in for an absolute treat. Our guest is a designer, writer, researcher, learner, educator, and all-round creative polymath, which is something we've never not heard, like, all the time. And she's obsessed with design that puts experience first. She's helped everyone from hungry startups to global giants transform through design. She has led, taught, and been part of teams designing digital and physical products, services, brands, events, physical spaces, processes, values, systems, learning experiences, rituals, models, methods, and almost everything in between, as if there could be anything left in between. She's worked across the world, London, Milan, Hong Kong, New York, worked with companies such as Fjord, Accenture Song, Idean, Frog, Capgemini, and just to keep adding it out, currently a higher degree by research candidate at Torrance University, where her practice-based research focuses on exploring the nexus of design post-humanism, economics, ethics, and philosophy through the lens of radical design theory. And if that is not enough, she's also adjunct faculty at RMIT University in Melbourne. Whew. Wow. What an intro. John, welcome to our guest, Chi Ryan. Woo. Chi, hello. Yay. Welcome. Woo. Wow. It's a nice welcome to get a round of applause. Well, we're we're a nice podcast. So, Chi, what's caught your curious eye this week? Have you ever heard of something called an egg corn? No, no. no. Tell us more. Have you ever heard the phrase "nip it in the bud"? Yes, yes, yes. Definitely. A lot of people get that wrong and say "nip it in the butt." And an eggcorn is a linguistic term for when people get a common phrase incorrect, but it's sort of right. So, for example, another one would be something like curve your enthusiasm instead of curb your enthusiasm. (laughs) I like that, yeah. And biting my time instead of biting my time and it's funny because you said the spirit of cricket and that's kind of like the spirit of christmas but it's not it's not quite an egg corn but anyway it's um these have been keeping me keeping me awake and i've got this really funny idea that it would be really fun to condition myself to use egg corns all the time instead of using the actual phrases uh-huh well, just, just do it on purpose, you mean, just to sort of mix things up. Yeah, yeah, totally to mess with everybody. Yeah, I like that. Kind of like messing with the algorithms in people's heads. <laughs> you could almost do it in a talk or something, say, see how many egg corns you could put in before people start to, like, roll their eyes and go, oh, here we go. 
this is full of, you know, doesn't this person know what they're talking about? I like that. I like that. John's got a similar one. I've got a saying up on my desk and I say, have a, lo- have a go at life, rip the shit out of it. And John always says, have a go at life, rip the ass out of it. <laughs> I say, John, that's not it. Now I can label it and say, you're just egg corning, man. <laughs> but the thing is, the thing is that that is absolutely rooted in my head now. I can't change it. I always say, rip the ass out of it. I can't change it. It's, it's fixated in my mind, even though I, I know it's wrong since I've said it. Anyway, <laughs> not that rip the shit. I mean, that's still, is that any better? <laughs> anyway it's quite wrong i mean it's a bit like saying oh there's a funny story about this but you know the saying when the shit hits the fan yeah well sometimes things don't always have quite the same meaning when they translate from one language to another and when i was working in italy one day and i had a quite a mixed team they were from all over the place from brazil and turkey and Italy and all over. Anyway, I said something about, oh, the shit's going to hit the fan. And they, there was a few grimaces that they they took it really literally like, oh, gross, that's disgusting. <laughs> and I never really thought about it like that before, but now I really think about it when I say it. So ripping the shit out of something is kind of gross. <laughs> a famous Australian actor said that, and I was listening to him on uh, take five with Zan Rowe, and he said, she says, how do you do much, so much cool stuff? He says, I don't know, just have a go at life, you know, rip the shit out of it. <laughs> so that's why I thought, what a great little piece. But look, moving on, yeah. Chi, where in the world are you today? We have listeners from all over the world. Where are you in the world? I am in Sydney, Australia, and uh, it is it has been a lovely winter winter day here. Uh-huh. What could you see out the window, Chi? If, do you have a window, or, you, or have you been in prison somewhere? <laughs> well, it is a penal colony. Um, look, I do have a window, but my blind is down because the sun was blinding me before as it was going down. So I put the I put the blind down. But if I could see out there, it's my balcony with my little a little relaxo area in the uh, on the balcony. Okay. Can you fit a you can fit a chair out there? Can you or a sun lounger, something bigger? How big's a balcony? It has a sun lounge and a few disco balls and some fairy lights, you know. It's not particularly large, but it's it's quite relaxing. A little cold to sit out there at the moment, but in summertime it's very nice. Very nice. And I like the fact that you call it the relaxo area. That sounds something like you could advertise. Get your new relaxo. Well, in Australia, we, we we do this. We put O or an S-Y on the end. So you don't say relax. You go, I'm going to pop outside for an old relaxo. <laughs> so that is a little bit of our phonetic structure, John. So, uh, And you don't say, I'm going down to the beach for a swim. You're going down to the old beach-o for a swim. <laughs> who's going to join Amy? Yeah, so. Uh, <laughs> what do you do then when you want to play bingo? <laughs> oh, it's Bingsy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Easy, John. Easy. Enough Easy. of this nonsense. <laughs> um, so, Chi, we've got a first sort of round of questions. Uh, we call them dinner party introductions because we're always curious when we meet people at dinner parties. Um, but we wanted to mix up our questions. So rather than the, hey, what do you do? Where are you from? And that usual sort of style of question we're going to mix that up and and ask some questions which hopefully will tease out something a bit more interesting so with that in mind 
having opened the wine and I've just topped up your glass, we've settled down to some nice foods, maybe some tapas. I don't know what your favorite food is, whatever it is. Imagine it's in front of you now. And I say, hey, Chi, nice to meet you. What's given you joy at the moment? That's an interesting question. At the moment, food isn't giving me a lot of joy because my husband and I are on a diet. So we're currently eating packaged meals, you know, those ones that get delivered to you under 400 calories, but it seems to be working. So (laughs) that's good. They're actually, look, I shouldn't, I won't tell you the brand, but I will say that they are actually quite delicious. I do, I do think they're quite delicious, but, um, I guess um, what's that famous that famous quote by Kate Moss? Nothing tastes as good as skinny fingers. <laughs> I don't know. I really yeah. shouldn't say that. Yeah, I remember I that. Say that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't believe that. Look, um, you know, COVID and all that, and a, <laughs> and a couple of injuries and chronic illnesses later. You know, my waistline's not looking as, um, and I'm not as young as I used to be. So it's time to cut the portion sizes. So this, although it's not joy, food's not bringing me joy, the knowledge that maybe I might fit into some of my older clothes, yeah. that brings me some joy. Yeah. <laughs> well, luckily, John, at our dinner party, we do have some low-calorie meals. I've just waved to uh, Pierre. Pierre? <laughs> yep. Okay, I've got his eye. He'll bring out a, uh, a smaller calorie dish at the moment. I'll just pour you another glass of wine, though. Do you have a hobby that you lose yourself in at the moment? Not look. I I <laughs> I don't really have a hobby. I have design. So um, I guess design is my hobby in a way, in its own forms. And I do. I fill up my time outside work with a lot of design. I know that that sounds that sounds so boring. Over the years, I've had a lot of hobbies. Although I do have one thing. I guess I collect tattoos. So that's kind yeah. of a hobby. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, I, I'd noticed your tattoos on, on some of the uh, presentations that you're doing and on the creativity talks and that, Chi. And I, I did wonder, do you design all of those then? Are they all your designs? No. I mean, I've never, <laughs> I've never tattooed myself. I generally will come <laughs> up with an idea that I'll talk to a, tat- a particular tattooer that I want to be tattooed by and then... I'll work with them to figure it out. And generally I go to tattooers who have a particular style. So I guess my right sleeve was by a tattooer named Deno and he's from Madrid. So when I lived in the UK, I was very lucky because it's a little hard to get a big tattoo from him. Um, He sort of travels a lot and I'd gotten smaller ones before from him, but I said I wanted to, to get a full sleeve from him and we managed to sort of work it out where we were We'd cross paths in London or Spain and he would finish off my sleeve for me. So I guess I have a few that are sort of by rock star tattooers, I suppose you would would describe them. (laughs) And and, uh, how long would that take to do like a whole sleeve as you described it, G? Because I have no tattoos. I've never had a tattoo. I've no desire to get a tattoo. But I'm always intrigued by people who do and just the fantastic designs they have and just how painful it is i wonder how painful it is is it painful <laughs> this is a question yeah really is it does it hurt, does it hurt? <laughs> it's nowhere near as painful as having one removed with laser oh right okay so you've had that you've had to do that have you 
Yeah, so I've been having my, <laughs> I say this very loosely, I've been having my um, chest piece lasered off. So I have I have a chest piece that goes right up onto my neck and I've been, and it wasn't because I, I didn't not, like I didn't not like it. I just felt like it didn't suit me anymore and I'm going to get it redone, um, which I'm still kind of deciding what I want to do with it. But anyway, I've had three treatments. The first treat, the first treatment I had was in this. So this will give you an indication of how painful laser tattoo removal can be. I had the first treatment in 2017, and then I didn't have another treatment until the end of 2021. Oh gosh! It took me a good. Three, was it three years, four years to, to get another? Four treatment. years, yeah. Four years. Um, so, look, getting tattooed is not getting a lot of tattoo done. And when you say how long does a tattoo take, it really depends. Depends who you get tattooed by. Different people have different bedside manners. Some take it really slow. Some are faster. Some are really brutal. There's lots of different you know, there's lots of different ways that you can. That there's Watch out for a sign that says "brutal tattooist." <laughs> I'm like, no, soft. I was yeah, wondering, yeah, Rochi, yeah. when you said you had a chest piece removed, I, I was thinking, oh yeah, I would. But do you mean like a rook or a pawn or a bishop, something like that? You think, I, I don't like chess anymore. I'll get that removed. Is that what you meant? No, that's another egg corn. And no. <laughs> hey, we've got our first egg corn of the show. Now, continuing on with our pin party, really enjoying the companies so far. Who or what inspires you now? Well, it's a hard question because. It changes quite frequently, but at the moment, I would have to say that there's a couple of things. So Slavov Zizek is my favorite philosopher. So he's a very interesting and influential person in my world currently. And then my favorite podcast is called Upstream. And I will, (laughs) I like to listen to that a lot. Sometimes I run out of podcasts to listen to. So didn't have us on the list though, did you there, G? <laughs> well, yeah. I've been listening to every episode, so you know. <laughs> noted. Noted. That's all I'm gonna say. Well yes. building We're on the that. mood at the party, didn't it? Yeah. It <laughs> yeah, I've just changed I've changed seats now. I've yeah. got to the other end of the table. <laughs> I'm not sitting there. I could be insulted out somewhere else. Um now, what big question are you wrestling with right now, Chi? Mm, what big question am I wrestling with? <laughs> if I really, if I say it, it's a bit dark. <laughs> dark is good. Yeah. So, sometimes I wrestle with the question of when's it going to end. Do you mean the podcast or or more? Broad? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hey. If it's that bad, just say. A, a, a legion of insults. Really, She's just laying into us today, isn't she? Ah. Yeah. <laughs> I'll give her one glass of good French wine. No, off they go. Stop pouring mm. it. Put it back Woo! on. Woo! Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and well, the other question. Well, it's not really a question. The other thing that I think about a lot is we're doing it all wrong. All right. So, do you want to uh, explore that a little bit more when you say we are doing it all wrong? Who's we, and what are we doing wrong? Or how do we Humans. define that? Humans. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> yeah, who? Yeah. 
And, you know, somewhere along the way, maybe we went, I don't know, I was talking to my husband the other day about alternate universes and, you know, <laughs> the, the multiverse. Um, but somewhere along the way, probably around, I don't know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say like roughly maybe 1,200 years ago, we sort of went down this path of capitalism and things got a bit murky. And um, that's where things have really gone off course for the humans. And, um, you know, you only have to look at what's happening in the the world today where orcas are fighting back to know that, um, you know, never underestimate nature and the world that we live in. And I think we do that too much. Did you say orcas are fighting back? Yeah, against yachts. Really? Oh, I didn't see yeah. that one. Oh, gosh. Yeah. All right. Off, Gibral- off Gibraltar, they're uh, attacking wow. yachts. Yeah. Whoa. Watch out <laughs> for a gang of orcas near you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and um, before the dinner party comes to a close here, Chi, just how would Thank you describe... God. Yeah. <laughs> so Taxi- <rude>. T- taxi's <laughs> outside, the engine's running. But I'm just gonna ask this before you go. Well, put the meter on, please. <laughs> make, make sure this lady gets home safely. Uh how would you describe what you do? What are your intersections? oh how would I describe what I do well there's what I do by day and there's what I do by night now that doesn't mean doesn't mean only fans but and there is nothing wrong with that but uh there's the the link in the show notes (laughs) (laughs) there's nothing wrong with you know there's the design that I do by day and there's the design that I do by night. And um, the design that I do by day is the kind that capitalism wants. The type that I do by night is the type that fights against capitalism. <laughs> it's when we organize. Did you get that one? Did you catch up? Yeah, organize. Okay. We see what you did there. <laughs> That's another egg call there, isn't it? That's another yeah. egg call. Yeah. A little. Little one. Little, little. So look on a on a daily on a daily basis though, uh, your design also and the way you design is also comes from a bunch of different areas. So if your look on the world of design sits between three or four things, what is it? What are those influences? You're in the middle. Well, like I said, I mean, there's my practice by day and there's my practice by night. If I had to say where my commercial practice sits it sits between in the the middle of business environment technology and people which all sounds very la-di-da it's very nice that sounds like it'll get me a job um (laughs) (laughs) but um the design that I feel in my heart is it sits at the nexus of I guess protest and dissent and and socialism. (laughs) I was going to say communism, but I probably shouldn't say that. Tax hit. (laughs) (laughs) But no, that, that, that is interesting. So business, environment, people, tech, and protest, dissent, but also presumably progress in that as well. 
that you seek to see that design help humans make progress. Is that right? In a commercial perspective, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, I tend to think that humans are more the problem than the the solution. <laughs> so, you know, I definitely, you know, from a, from a commercial perspective, I definitely try to help organisations understand how to take into account the experience of people in whatever it is that they do. But the reality is that that's a very anthropocentric approach to design. And I don't think that humans are the centre of the universe. Unfortunately, that's the way that the world currently works and operates uh, with humans at the centre. So it's funny because over the years, I've described myself as, at times, as a human-centred designer. In fact, I had a, I was I was a host on a podcast that was about that very thing. But now nothing repulses me more than the thought of human-centred design. So if it's not centred around humans, what should it be centred around? So I think this is a, a big question. Look, at the moment, there's a lot of discussion about different names for what people call these things or this, this approach. Uh, there's life-centred design or planet-centred design. Ultimately, what we need to do is strip the colonialist ways out of the way that we think about what we do and these things can be deeply embedded in us and it's not just about you know people of color and and so on i i think this is something that we're all conditioned to deeply within us so when we're born we are born without any conditioning and progressively, very quickly, in fact, we become conditioned to the ways of the world around us. And that is built on layers and layers of generational colonialism and capitalism and patriarchy. And in order to, to move past that, we're going to have to get outside of the ideologies that we currently reside within is that uh just as you were saying that chi i i noted in your talk dude where's my creativity that recent event that you did you talked about dialectical materialism which had me perk my ears up and you then started talking about marx and engels and ontological design is that is that that idea that it's not uh, what is it i said it's not our own mind that determines our experience it's almost like the work our world shapes us and we're responding to that. Is there something in that? Was that? Yeah. So it's the, or is that a real sort of cack handed way of saying something that was very, very profound? (laughs) No, no, no. Look, I mean, I think, I think my, 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 I, I mean, I tried to simplify dialectical materialism in that talk, but essentially the best way to think about it is that design in it, of itself is part of the human condition. We try to solve problems around us. That's natural for us to do. And in response, that changes the world and then the world changes us and we design more things and back and forth. And that's that's ontological design. And this is how the world operates. (laughs) 
So, Chi, the occupational philosophers, was born out of the idea or the desire to explore, you know, the interplay between creativity, curiosity, imagination, philosophy, design. So we'd love to get to know a bit more about your work and your ideas. We touched a second ago on the fact that you delivered a, a talk called Dude, Where's My Creativity? At the um, It was at the Design Outlook 23 conference or event. You were wrapped in bubble wrap. That just seems like a really good place to start. Can you tell us a little bit about that talk? Yeah, so the bubble wrap. Okay, so there's a movie... 2000s film called Dude Where's My Car, probably famous for Ashton Kutcher. It's a stoner film, probably a little bit not PC <laughs> compared to today. We've come along. 20, 20 years ago, you could do whatever you wanted. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Look, there's, there's some things in there that aren't that great. But it's an interesting film. In fact, I don't know, maybe it's a cinematic masterpiece. Maybe it really is a cinematic masterpiece. I do say that in that talk. Kind of jokingly, kind of, I was half-half about it being real. There's a couple of things about that film that are really interesting. Firstly, the plot line is very interesting and the talk I was asked very specifically to talk about creativity and how to introduce creativity into design and over the past couple of years, I was very sick. I have some chronic illnesses. I have chronic fatigue amongst other things, but I also had this this thing called thoracic outlet syndrome, which is something that I had to have a major surgery on my brachial plexus for, had to have a rib removed, very long recovery. And it was doing all kinds of things to me because it was compress it's a compression injury and it was compressing my veins and nerves, but also my subclavian artery cutting off brain from my heart to wherever that blood goes into my arm. And it's a really good way to lose an arm. So they fixed that up. And um, during that time, you know, I honestly, I was pretty, I was pretty depressed at times um, because I had a major injury, couldn't really do anything. I couldn't drive. I was very, uh, previously I'd been very independent and suddenly everything that I knew about the world and for me the world is a lot to do with design it just kind of stopped and I had to try to figure out what I was without design and um, I thought that there was an interesting correlation between that and dude where's my car because in that in that film the plot goes that these two stoners they go out the night before get really messed up come home and in the morning they go out to find their car and it's not where they left it and hilarity ensues as they try to find their car and the punchline is eventually they find their car right where they left it, out the front of their house. There'd just been a postal van in front of the, the car. And so it was right where they left it, which I think is a, a really good analogy for creativity because it's this mysterious vapour-like thing that comes and goes and sometimes you feel particularly creative and then what I went through definitely showed me the depths of what it's like to be completely the opposite. So that's where Dude Where's My Car came from, where the idea for the talk came from and the bubble wrap suit in the film there is a cult and the cult all wear bubble wrap suits because they think they're going to space 
So, and they actually wear they wear bubble wrap suits and Vans, uh, Vans shoes. So that's what I wore because design is very cult like, and so I wanted to I wanted to create this visceral and tangible connection between the story that I was telling and what people were seeing. And um, it's quite interesting because also, and I mean, I think I don't know if it's really if it's really visible when you watch the talk on video, but a lot of people's feedback was, I wasn't sure where to look. I wasn't sure whether I should look at you or if I should look at the screen because there was a lot going on and that was on purpose. But we can go into the deconstruction of, of the talk. Just on that note, uh, having watched it, that the first thing I was struck by, Chi, was just the was the, the slides, the animations and the and documentary snippets and stuff. It reminded me very much of Adam Curtis, the documentary filmmaker. Is that yes. what you gave him for? That's exactly Ah, uh, Yes, that is exactly it's really what really good. Just for. kind yes. of sort of jars people. It's getting people sort of thinking through what they're seeing and what's being said. Yeah, I, I, I loved it. I thought that was great. Oh, that makes me so happy because you're the first person who has – mentioned that they they compared yeah. it to Adam Curtis and that that's exactly who it's meant to be like because I mean I'm I'm well that's another influence so I'm super influenced by Adam Curtis and particularly all watched over by machines yeah. of loving grace that's probably my favorite of his yeah. of his documentaries p.s I went to film school ah, so I'm a kind of it, I'm shows. A bit of a film it shows there we go <laughs> Now, just on a on a logistical level here, John's gone highbrow. I'm going to go a bit more lowbrow. How was your body temperature in the bubble <laughs> suit? Uh, were, you, were you quite sweaty? And or what was the process of making it? Did you have a friend help, like to put together sort of a bit of a seamstress approach, or did you just sort of think, nah, I'm about that outline, and I'm going to yeah? What, what's the logistics of that? Okay, so so the first thing is. You can get anything on Amazon, <laughs> including a bubble wrap suit. So got that because, of course, people dress up as this as a costume for Halloween and stuff. So I got the bubble wrap yeah, suit. Yeah, right. And um, <laughs> it's a funny story actually because I hadn't – I tried on the jacket and I was like, yeah, this fits great. It's got Velcro. feels good. But I didn't try on the pants because I thought they might be a little bit tricky to take on and off. You know, and especially because, you know, it, they're plastic, it's going to get sweaty and so on. So I waited till the morning of to try on the pants and I was in my hotel room and I just thought, oh, I'll, just, I'll just throw them on. So I threw them on. They ripped straight up the bum immediately and I'm thinking, oh, my God, what am I going to do Uh-oh. now? They've ripped straight up, <laughs> straight up the bum. Straight to Bunnings, so, get some more. Can you just patch that well, with tape? I wish. This was like 8 o'clock in the morning. I was the first speaker at – 9.45, so we had a problem. So I went when I got to the venue, I thankfully the fantastic people from the venue had some clear sticky, <laughs> t- like big sticky tape. So I, I patched it all up and I, you know, I, I patched the crotch up and I put extra, extra sticky in there to make sure that it would be hold really fast and I put everything on and I went up on stage and I went through it. And I don't know if you saw this bit, but there's a bit in the talk where I go, I ripped the pants. And it's because I actually ripped my pants right up the inner seam on the leg <laughs> on the stage, <laughs> which was actually have, quite a good thing. I have one more question uh, to you about the, the bubble suit. Like, I have to ask this. Is, is that the perfect suit if you're nervous to be going on stage at all? Because I'd just be there 
popping it. <laughs> I, just, I just feel myself just wanting to pop all the <laughs> bubbles one by one in that kind of sort of comforting way. Is it not tempting to do that? Or did other people want to do that? Other people wanted to do that. So I had quite a lot of people come up to me afterwards wanting to <laughs> hug me so that they could try to pop as many bubbles as possible. But um, I didn't want anybody to hug me because quite rightly, it was stinking hot inside it. I was sweating. It was, when I took it off, it was literally like I had a bucket of water poured inside. Well, that answered my logistical (laughs) questions. I'm just going to make a note to myself. Uh, Maybe not go for that. Now, I know from uh, sort of going sideways maybe or maybe down the same path, I know from previous conversations you have a particular interest in French philosophers. Can you tell us a little bit more about this and how this has maybe influenced your outlook on design? Well, I'm particularly interested in Deleuze and He's probably one of the more complicated philosophers, I suppose. But at the moment, I'm in my Derrida era, which <laughs> which basically, for those of you who don't know who Derrida uh, is, that's okay. I'll, I'll paint you a picture. Imagine you go into a little bar in Paris and there's a man in the corner, very drunk, talking shit. That's Derrida. So talking I'm to Toulouse Lautrec, or yeah, <laughs> well, yes, talking to anybody that'll listen, talking to thin air, probably. Derrida, he is quite the the polarizing philosopher. Some people say that his work is absolutely bullshit. Other people say that he's the most one of the foremost geniuses of the. 21st century. I don't know. Like, you know, he's a really polarizing character. But yeah, at, for me at the moment, Derrida's deconstruction is something that I'm really focused on. And it's interesting because so there's a bit more background behind that talk. So I'm actually going through the process of using Derrida's deconstruction to deconstruct that talk in reverse because. There's so many elements within that talk that are, are so purposely fabricated in that particular way and they there's so many hidden meanings. So for example, you know how you just picked up that visually there's a there's a nod to Adam Curtis. There's hundreds and hundreds of layers in that talk and it was intentional. You're not supposed to be able to focus on what was going on. What I'm saying is not supposed to particularly give you a a particular type of message. It's meant to be a departure from your average design talks that you see uh, at conferences, any talk course, any talks that you do at conferences. So at the moment I'm working on that. And, and so I'm building this deconstruction around something that I like to call post-design, which is really the topic that I announced it, I suppose. I announced this term as part of my talk. Uh, I didn't really explain what it is or I talked, I said, you know, I hope that people find their post design, which is really about saying I, I don't want them to go and think about what post design is. What I want them to think about is what their inspiration is because post design is my inspiration. It's my magnum opus. It's it's how I want my 
design practice to look. I hope other people go and find that for themselves, not to practice post-design specifically. Now I'm going to jump in and ask a question, and this may not be the right question because maybe it doesn't have an answer, but if it did have an answer, what is your version of post-design? That's a really good question. I don't, I don't, I don't necessarily have a direct answer, but I can give you an example, a nice example that is that is recent, and that folks who are listening to this can go and have a look at. So, very recently, in LA, there was a whole lot of chaos over some newly designed bus shelters called La Sombrita. Now, these little bus shelters, and I just want to point out, there was only four of them. They were prototypes that were placed around various parts of LA, only four, not that many. LA's a big place, lots of buses. <laughs> so, um, but there was a public outcry about La Sombrita. Now, La Sombrita, for those of you playing at home, <laughs> is a bus shelter that is very small and it doesn't really give you any shelter. And it's very interesting. It, it, it's solar-powered. It has a light on it. And it was designed in conjunction with particularly women and people of colour to understand what they would want from a bus shelter and then in conjunction with the municipal councils of uh, Los Angeles around what their budget was and, you know, what the rules are in terms of designing bus shelters. And so La Sombrita was born. And so there's this public outcry. Well, if you Google La Sombrita LA, you're sure to find mountains of articles from everything from the New York Times to just the Guardian and just about everything else that are ripping on La Sombrita. But if you look carefully, you will find some information about what La Sombrita really was. So La Sombrita was an experiment. It was an experiment to point out the flaws and to critically call out the problems with, let's call it sidewalk architecture in the LA area, okay? So La Sombrita in itself is quite a hilarious name because I asked one of my, one of my students who's Spanish, what does La Sombrita mean to her? And she laughed and said, it means little shadow and it's quite a funny term to use. So the name in of itself is not only ironic but kind of what I well sardonic. It's a little it's very tongue in cheek and and appeals to the locals, I suppose. And no, Ola, as you were saying this then, Chi, I was trying to grab hold of that definition if one can around post design. You said it has an element of absurdity, but it also seems that it's designed to provoke. In some regards? Yeah. Yes. Okay, yeah. So I've been working on a set of, I'd call them characteristics of what 
post design is. I'm not sure. It's it's funny. I I don't know that it's something that needs to be defined. Like here's a ticked box list of of things that it is or does. But what I I, I can explain to you some characteristics, uh, which very specifically are related to La Sombrita. And I'm looking at different examples of design that have these characteristics. So it needs to have an, an element of absurdity. So it's nonsensical. It's something as a person you recognise that oh, that doesn't make sense. That's really ridiculous. It needs to have a, a, it's sardonic, right? So sardonic is an interesting an interesting word. It's an old term that means to smile in the face of death. So it's it's something that is quite tongue-in-cheek and it usually is a, a representative of a smile. You might have heard of the term sardonic smile. So it needs to be something that makes you sort of smirk and mock. It has to be allegorical, so there needs to be a secondary layer of meaning in it. So the design sort of has this superficial storyline but underneath it there's this meaning that is that has a purpose it needs to be provocative and I'll just point this out so we're thinking about this in terms of La Sombrita but if we were to think about my talk and for those playing at home I'd suggest that you probably go and have a look at it now because you'll be wondering what the hell I'm talking about but I'm hoping that you can see where I'm going with this that the talk that I did was actually designed around a set of this set of post-design characteristics. So as you said, it definitely needs to be provocative. So it needs to incite something, make people do something. It definitely has an element of the spectacle, which definitely for me draws on people like Guy Debord and the situationists and then, you know, things like uh, punk and post-punk. It's certainly a, what I would describe as a post-designally element to those things. It needs to be critical. So it has to analyze something. It has to say something about the world. It needs to speak to what's going on, what's wrong. It needs to have an element of nostalgia. And that the reason that that's sort of the little glitter that's sprinkled on top is because that makes it relatable. So, for example, with La Sombrita, the thing that makes that relatable is, in fact, the name La Sombrita. Of course, LA is a very multicultural place, but they have quite a, a big Latino community. So the name La Sombrita is very funny to people in LA. And there needs to be an impracticality to to post-design or something that's post-designally. It shouldn't necessarily be worth putting into action. You should actually look at it and go, why did they do that? And it should create a kind of mythology. And I'll come back to La Sombrita particularly about what, what happened. So I guess the final two elements, and one of them I'm a little bit not sure about at the moment, one of them is that it definitely has to be intentional. So you need to do all of these things with serious intent and moral. And then I'm tossing up whether or not to include that it has to have some countercultural component, but it, maybe it doesn't necessarily have to have that. Now, when it comes to mythology, I think the thing that's really interesting about La Sombrita is that it went viral. That's a type of modern mythology creating something that just takes on a life of its own, not to mention the fact that 
they created so much hype about it, kind of negative hype that drew attention to the thing that they were trying to show, which that it was completely ridiculous because that's the rules that they had to play by. They had a budget of $10,000 per unit and they had to abide by all of the sidewalk laws. I have to say, gee, that's after having said, ooh, what is post-design? That's quite tough to answer. You gave the most comprehensive answer I think I've ever heard. <laughs> I mean, intent, absurdity, allegorical, insight to action, spectacle, critical. All I can say is I'm never going to look at a bus stop the same way again. Ichi, this thought experiment has us delve into the great minds of French philosophers, who we know you have a soft spot for. And we're inspired by a UK TV game show called Blankety Blank. I don't know if you know that. And uh, it's where celebrities had to um, fill in a blank around a well-known phrase or saying. For example, if I was to say to you, complete the following saying, nip in the blank, what would you say there? <laughs> <laughs> dairy dare. Yes, well, that's it. Nip in the dairy air or the dairy dare. Uh, yeah, nip in the butt or nip in the butt or blank in a china shop. Yeah, you get the idea? So with that simple idea in mind, yes. here is our version <laughs> where you have to complete the sayings of well-known French philosophers. It's called Blancity Blanc. Do you see what he did there? So here's the first one for you. I'm going to kick you off nice and easy. I think, therefore, I blank. <laughs> I just want to say blank at the end. Oh, yeah, I should say blank, shouldn't I? Not blank. I, blanc, yeah, blanc, I think, blanc. therefore, I blank. <laughs> What's the blank? Um, uh, I'm sorry. It's actually, I'm I think, sorry. therefore, I don't watch The Real Housewives of Melbourne. There we go. You thought you knew your French philosophers there, Chi, but that's a, that's a, that's a poor start. <laughs> Who was that? was that? René Descartes, was wasn't it? I think, therefore, I don't watch The Real Housewives of Melbourne. It's a classic, classic, classic <laughs> Descartes quote. Right. Well, I thought you were good, but let, let's go to the next one. Okay, another French philosopher. Hell is blanc people. What's the blanc? Oh, God, I don't know. Uh, hell is... <laughs> Full of It's <laughs> <laughs> by Jean Paul Sartre. I'll see if you can get it. You, you might know him, Jean Paul Sartre. Apologies for the. I do. So, hell is blanc people. Full of people. Yeah, I don't know. Hell is hell is the village people. So uh, no, you didn't get it right again either. That is not true. Well. According to our yep. explanation. We've got them all. We've so got them according all According to here. our research. Right. Uh, I've got the research. I'm going to sort of mix it up now, make this a little easier for you, Cheese, because I'm going to tell you the philosopher first, okay, if that helps. So this is Voltaire. Uh, judge a man by his questions rather than his blanc. <laughs> I can't answer that one. That's not safe for television. <laughs> I don't know where <laughs> you're going. Work. Go on. What what do you reckon's Please. in the block? What would you like to? What's the, the block? block? Judge Wait, a man by his, so, so by, not by judge his a man question. by his questions rather than his block. Answers. Sorry, it's uh, Sorry. eyebrows. 
Okay. Oh. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've seen some things in my time, but really. Okay, so let's try one more. We'll, we'll try and make it easy. This is for, by Michelle de Montaigne. I believe I've said that right. Uh, fill in the blanc. Stubborn and ardent, clinging to one's opinion is the best proof of blanc. Oh, God, I've got no, I don't know. I feel like an idiot. <laughs> I think that's, I think I heard Derrida say that in a bar in Paris. <laughs> so you're going with idiot? Sounds like waffle. Okay. Well, yeah, sure. It's actually is stubborn and ardent, clinging to one's opinion is the best proof of eligibility to be a politician. So, uh, we're, we're, oh, an idiot. Yeah. I was <laughs> right. It's the closest one you've been. Now, John, Last just uh, we're almost yeah. near the end. Last one. Last one. Uh, this is Jean Jacques Rousseau. The world of reality has its limits, the world of imagination is blanc. I don't know. This is too hard. <laughs> I'll, I'll read it one more time. Well, you know, you're a French yeah. philosopher. The world of. No, not just any just French Der- philosophers. Just Derrida. Some of them are idiots. <laughs> oh, big fool. Well, Derrida. Have a, have a, you can just have a, a guess at this one, I think, uh, Chi, like all the others, really. But the world of reality has its Tommy. limits. The world of imagination is blank. Think blank. Uh, I want to say unlimited, but that sounds stupid. So that's that's not bad. Uh, But it's actually the world of reality has its limits. The world of imagination is just off the A36 on the outskirts of Rockdale. (laughs) You were close, (laughs) but uh, I don't know. Interesting French philosophy. Um, I'm not I sure. think I think you've been you've been so, spinning us a yarn there, Chi. You're not really into your French philosophers, are you? <laughs> and, th- and that no. was Blancity Blanc. <laughs> now, Chi, it's time for the the not so serious business podcast advice time, and we're going to do this in a very fast and challenging way. So I would just like to keep it sort of you know, one, two, three word answer. Now, as a solopreneur or as an individual member of a team, what can I do to build my design sensibilities? <laughs> just so you know, I don't do anything. I make it a policy not to do anything fast and rarely anything <laughs> challenging. So, so um, this is this is absolutely so your thing. <laughs> <laughs> slow down. That's what I'm going to say. Wow. Slow down. That's like my that. answer. I like that. How about teams? How can teams bring more of a design mindset into what they do together? Two or three tips there. What would be your thoughts? Hire a designer. <laughs> three words. Oh, you nailed it. Now, finally, thinking uh, some advice for leaders in any size of any organization who want to, to build and develop or a creative or a more design-led culture. What might a leader need to stop doing? What might they need to start doing? We'll go with stop first. A leader should stop listening to other business people. (laughs) Excellent. (laughs) And what should they start doing? Uh Oh, I also was going to say they also should stop reading articles on LinkedIn. <laughs> what Unless should they mine. start doing? Okay. Leaders should start having more fun. Love it. I like that. So 
We're going to start to draw into a bit of a close here, uh, Chi. And so, again, staying with the theme of rapid fire, <laughs> just some little one-word answers to some of these questions, please. What is one thing you couldn't do without in your life right at the moment? My bulldogs. We are building the occupational philosopher's manigesto. What one thing of all your learning do you think should be included? No manifestos. Provocative. I was very solid mm. on that one, wasn't I? I was like, zinger. That now, one, I know the answer. Now you can speak in two words, okay? Now you can. Is, okay, is, no, there, no. A, is there a book we should be reading? Mm, that's an interesting question. Yes. Oh, is it called The Value of a Whale is the book. <laughs> Now you're being. Uh, imagine it's the sort of the twilight years. Uh, you've had a you've had a wonderful career, wonderful life. Uh, you decided. Oh, you know, bless you. How, yeah. how old do you think I am? Oh, this is far <laughs> out in the future, G. This is very it's far, far, far into the future. Let's say this is your twilight imagine. years, where, wherever you judge them to be. But you know, you're led into your retirement home, and you're taken into the, the say the lounge room, the dining room. Everyone looks up. How would you like to be introduced? Here's Chi. She. <laughs> hate you all <laughs> I don't know I love it yeah. I love it <laughs> yeah, yeah you can run with that she put she, she put shit in your soup <laughs> you are going to get chucked out I mean you've been chucked out of a dinner party already Chi now you're getting chucked out of the retirement home so I think there's a theme here. it's like a table a coffee table book places Chi is being thrown out of so it's like you know hey, Chi, that, Chi what are you up to what are you up to next hmm that's a good question uh, <laughs> nothing much <laughs> I don't really have any plans at the moment. I'm, try- I'm trying to work towards my BHD. Oh, nice. <laughs> Which is a, you know, no small thing. Let's just acknowledge yeah. that when you say, I haven't got any plans apart yeah, from my yeah, PhD. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's a plan. Yeah. <laughs> I'd like to give a shout out to my two advisors, Scott and Philip from Torrens University, who put up with all my craziness week in, week out. <laughs> Surprised you've been kicked out of that. Now, where can we find you? Where can we connect with you? Where can we buy you virtual drinks? Where are you online and those types of places? I don't really have social media uh, except for LinkedIn. So um, the best place to catch me is definitely LinkedIn. Search for Chi Ryan, C-H-I-R-Y-A-N. And that's all, really. Fabulous. Chi, look, it only remains to say thank you so much for joining us and playing and sharing all of your insights and wisdom. It's been great fun. Really enjoyed it. It's been an absolute pleasure. So thank you. And you. (laughs) And you. And you. You bastard. (laughs) No, I will will jump in there. Chi, and you. And you. And And definitely you. you. And you. No, no, it's you. It's you. (laughs) No, 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 you. It just had to be you. It's you. No, no. (laughs) It's only you.
Hey, Simon. That was a really interesting episode there with Chi. That was uh, a lot packed in, as ever. But we always like to say, what were the takeaways? What did you uh, take note of? What some things really caught your ear this time? Holy moly, loads of things caught my ear. What I liked, and I always think one of the things I maybe haven't heard of before or thought about before, and often we talk around human-centered design as a way of delivering innovation, and then there's that, ooh, I've never thought about being human-centered, but I love her plays on that. Sort of the next step up is life-centered design, and then there's planet-centered design. So I just love that those upper levels of thinking, which, yeah, it sort of takes your brain to a different yeah. place and a different framework for solving problems. And also, I love to comment, the world shapes us, but we also shape the world. So this little interconnected ecosystem of how we engage or influence, or I'm not even sure what the, quite, the right piece is there, but that we all influence each other. It's a never-ending circle. And this whole idea of, you know, post-design or <laughs> with your know, last sombrita you know, the bus stop and this, some of these things which are in it are absurdity, you know, tongue-in-cheek, provocative, critical, has to be spectacle, nostalgia, mythology, like, wow. Like, <laughs> she, she just shows you. <laughs> she does seem to be going to another plane, doesn't she? <laughs> and you kind of say, want to go there as well. And you go, oh, my gosh, as you say, it, it's the good old, it's a real paradigm shift. She just lifts it up to a, a different place and you go, Never have considered things in that way before. Yeah, I felt like I was on design 1.0. This is like design 10.0. <laughs> so there's just so much there to think about. And I think, yeah, imagine, imagine you're talking around something at work and you go, well, as you can see, there's a little of absurdity as we wanted. And everyone's going, yeah, absurdity. Like, yeah, <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah, great <laughs> a great, set of, great <laughs> set of corporate values, wouldn't it? Absurdity. Absurdity, yeah. provocative, <laughs> ironic. Is that, yeah, that's who we are. Yeah. That, that's just where my head went when I was talking about that. Imagine uh, you stand up and you go, this year, absurdity. Woo! I love it. I love it. I, I so wish I might use that one. Thanks, Chi. All right. What about you, John? Uh, well, I was. I, what about uh, you? I caught uh, much of what you uh, said there the, the way that we shape the world and the way the world shapes us, that ontological design uh, concept that she mentioned. I mean, she talking about dialectical materialism. I mean, there's some real deep stuff in there. Derrida, the polarizing philosopher, yeah. and deconstruction. I mean, it, it was uh, it was fantastic. I'm going to look at bus shelters in a very different way. And I, I, of course, I, I don't yeah. want to go watch Dude, Where's My Car? Because it's not a film I've watched, but now I feel like I have to watch it. And I'll be watching it on a different plane as well. So maybe... I'll, I'll be able to get the true philosophical meaning from the film. Uh, so, yeah, fantastic. Really enjoyed that. It's taken to a very different place, and I enjoyed that very much. Yeah, what a great way just to blow your mind open with some different things. And I think that's, yeah, really what I'd like the show to be about. So thank you, Chi, very much. Now, John, end of the show. If there's one thing we'd like everyone to do. It would be, be to uh, leave a review. That really helps. Give us a rating. Obviously, we'd prefer five stars, but feel free to be honest. <laughs> um, <laughs> not too, not too honest, honest, yeah. Or your feedback. Honesty well. laced with compassion. So, yes. And tell people about it. That's always a good way for us to get the show more widely sort of known and out there and shared with more people, build that uh, community of listeners, as it were. And, yeah, aside to that, in the meantime, 
all the things we would ever say as occupational philosophers to stay curious, make stuff, play more, have fun, and... Most importantly, today, each and every day, date life.